that time of the week again. It's flat out RC time. Welcome back to the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Sill coming to you from land down under in Melbourne, Australia. I'll tell you what, Melbourne's a great place to be at the moment. Weather is good, plenty of flyable days, nice comfortable temperatures and a lot happening. We'll get into some of that shortly, but I uh, just want to tell you, I've got a good guest coming up, uh, Gary Roosh. Uh, if you're from Canada, we've got a Canadian. It happens to spend a lot of time in Australia, but interesting story, good guy. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Now, don't forget, subscribe to the Flat Out RC podcast before we get into it. Press that bell button, subscribe, whatever it is, the like button, uh, the follow button. I don't even know what button it is. So many different platforms are sharing the um, Flat Out RC podcast, whatever platform it is. Subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on any of these episodes. So let's get into it. Let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Well, firstly, there's a whole bunch of events that have been on my mind. Uh, as I record this, it's a Saturday evening. Yes, I do pre-prepare these podcasts. I don't record them and upload them on the same day. Uh, but it's a Saturday evening, and it's the Saturday before an event, Monty Tyrrell event. Uh, it's a um, at my club that I'm a member of, the Pakenham District Aero Modelers Club, I think it is, P and Darks, as the locals refer to it. And uh, it's called the Monty Tyrrell Day. Monty Tyrrell is a well-known Pakenham founding member, I believe. Uh, and it's basically a scale kind of fun fly event. Um, I've got to be there really early. Uh, I'm manning the gate and collecting $5 from the entrance. That's the, that's the fee to come to the event, $5, and I'll be there at 8, 8 in the morning. Well, I would have been there. By the time you listen to this, I would have been there. So I'm dreading actually at this point in time waking up in time because I've got a bit of a drive and I've had a really busy day getting everything organized. And why have I had a busy day? Because this coming weekend, is the Wang Jets event. That's the It's one of the biggest turbine jet events down here in Australia. It's been going for quite a while now. And um, it's called the Wang Jets because it's it's held in a town north of Victoria, about a th- uh, sorry, north of Melbourne. It's about a three-hour drive north uh, on the way to Sydney. And it's a town called Wangaratta. Wangaratta. We have some good names of towns here in Australia. Uh, and uh, so... The locals refer to the town as Wang, W-A-N-G. And so it's the Wang Jets event because it's held at the Wangaratta Airport. And I went to it last year. I've been to another one, I think, when I had my magazine, take some photographs and things like that. But it's a really, really good event. I can't wait. So today, I haven't flown my jet for ages. Actually, the last time I flew my jet was at the Wang Jets event last year. Uh, yeah, a little thing called COVID got in the way and, uh, and work, etc. But uh, I pulled my jet out today to check everything because I'm, can't wait to get up there and make make, but I want to make sure everything was right. So, got it out, put it all together, um, checked my airlines for any leaks. Uh, seems to be quite good, but yep, everything seems to be okay with the jet. Started it up. My son said to me, "You're not going to start that up, are you?" Uh, I did. I started in my driveway, but didn't run it for very long. The neighbour, I had a chat with the neighbour, and she said to me, "Oh, what was that you were playing with earlier?" I said, "Oh, it's my jet." She said, oh, yeah, I could smell the kerosene. I said, oh, to remind you of the airport. That's oh, a great smell, the turbine jet smell. So I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, if you haven't already um, registered, well, it's not too late. You can turn up um, and register at the Wangaratta Airport. It's running 
starts tomorrow. So this is a Wednesday when this podcast comes out. So it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's a four-day event. Uh, I'm going to shoot a video. So stay tuned on the Flat Out RC YouTube channel. Um, I will have that. And I'm hoping to have a video from the Monty Tyrrell Day as well. I just create a lot of work for myself, I do. But I, I really like shooting these videos. But I was thinking earlier as I was rushing around trying to get some batteries charged so I can have a little bit of a fly at the Monty Tyrrell tomorrow. And what point in time will I stop doing all these videos and stuff like that? Um, because sometimes I just want to go to an event and not have to. But at the moment, I do enjoy producing the content, as they say. Uh, other reminder of a big event coming up is the Festival of Aero Modeling. Festival of Aero Modeling. It's, it's, it's basically a Joe Nail kind of event that we're trying to get up and running here in Australia. Um, a few good guys up in Queensland. We had David Gale on a few weeks who's helping out. Uh, Tyson Dodds helping out. A whole bunch of people. Um, Festival of Aero Modeling, 28th of April to the 1st of May at the Casino Airport. Casino is, think Byron Bay and then go inland uh, west and you get to Casino. Uh, 28th of April, 1st of May, small and large scale planes, aero towing, gliders, jets, helis, aerobatics, control line, two flight lines, including night flying. It's pretty good. They might run a third kind of area, I think David said for um, like glider toes, but uh, that is coming up. Festival of Aero Modeling. Don't forget, 28th of April to the 1st of May. It's going to be a good event, that. Now, you've got to register. Now, to register, you've got to go to the Land Down Under Aerosports, which I think from memory is ldu-aerosports.com.au forward slash events. Go to the Land Down Under webpage. Uh, you can't find it. It's right. Land Down Under Aerosports. Um, and you will find the website. And what you will then do, I'm just trying to get up now, L-D-U Aerosports, A-E-R-O-S-P-O-R-T-S.com.au. Go to the events page and you'll see the registration for the Festival of Aero Modeling. Click on the link, fill out the form. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things that you've got to be mindful of with this registration form. That you can, There's a pilot's registration fee. There's um, a pizza night that you can pay for. There's a pilot's dinner that you can pay for. There's breakfast, lunch. There's golf cart hire for five days. There's marquee hire. There's a whole bunch of stuff. So it's a pretty big event. Uh, accommodation is next to the field, a casino at the caravan park next door to where most people will be staying. And they'll have a gate open so you can get access into the uh, into the airport to get to your models and all that kind of stuff and the flight line. So it's going to be a really good event. Can't make it myself, unfortunately. Double book myself. But don't forget about that. So... Some really good events coming up. Um, Bensdale, mid-May muster. I'll talk about that coming up too in the middle of May. We've got a bit of time before that. And, oh, the Yachuca fun flies on. Oh, what's the week? Let me just turn this computer on. Oops, I'll get my... I know the date um, because I'm thinking about going to it if, if I get a leave pass. Uh, I think it's the 9th and 10th of April for memory believe it's the 9th and 10th of April. Um, so that's up at Echuca on the border there between uh, Victoria and New South Wales. Um, so that is coming up as well, but I'll talk a bit about that next week as well. So lots and lots and lots of events. Uh, what's been on my mind? Well, oh, look, I've been really thinking about what I'm going to do. What kind of content do I need to produce that's going to keep all of you lot listening and enjoying what I do. Um, I've always tried to do something different. Now, even with this podcast, my podcast is guest-based. And I think I think it's one of the only true weekly guest-based aero modeling podcasts in the world. There's a lot of 
podcast out there um, that, that do a good job, which is basically a couple of couple of friends that get together and have a bit of a chit chat about different things, and um, some of those are pretty good. But mine, I always try to be a little bit different. You know, my whole idea is, how do I complement what's already out there? You know, if, if if there's a lot of people doing some good stuff as far as trying to promote the hobby or produce content to entertain us, but I've got to be a little bit different. I can't, you know, just copy everybody else because then we've just got a whole bunch of me too's. We see it on Facebook. There's so many error modeling Facebook pages. And I always say that we don't need another Facebook page because we're just diluting the mix. Uh, you know, so, and generally they're all pretty much of the same kind of thing. Um, so what can, what do I do that's different? And I really want you guys to give me some direction. I know it sounds like a cop-out where, oh, well, why can't you think of ideas? Well, I'm navel-gazing. Um, I'm navel-gazing as to what people like. Do they want weekly podcasts, fortnightly podcasts? Do they want guest-based? Do they want a bunch of mates? Do they want a mixture? What kind of video content? So if you want to give me some advice, I will gladly appreciate it. Just air your your thoughts on on what you'd love to see, and then whether I can do it as a separate thing. But I, I really would like some input. So, a couple of ways to do it: you can jump onto the Flat Out RC Facebook page and just send me a message. You can go to the flatoutrc.com.au webpage. That's flatoutrc.com.au webpage. Send me a message. Uh, go to the contact page. Send me a message. I'll get it there. But there's probably the two key ways uh, to do that. Go to the website or the Facebook page, probably the critical one. You can go to the Flat Out RC Instagram page as well. Send me a message because I do check that as well. So subscribe to everything and tell me, what do you think this world needs out of my little desk that will keep you entertained? Now, speaking of entertained, uh, it's guest time, which is always uh, my favourite time of the podcast. And this week's guest is a guy by the name of Gary Roosh. Now, Gary, I got introduced indirectly by a friend of mine that was at the Bansdale event uh, a couple of weeks ago, a fun fly event at the Bansdale Club. And um, he said, oh, this guy, Gary, you've got to have a chat with him. You've got to get him on the podcast. And the reason why is that Gary's from Canada. But he, he spends a lot of time in Australia because he's involved with the firefighting movement flying a, a um, air tractor, I think it is. He tells us anyway. But he's a, he's a pilot. So he's a, he's a full-size pilot and he loves modelling. But he's got a great story to tell. He's been a long-time aero modeller. And it's always good to have kind of international guests. He, he does spend four or five months of the year in Australia. Um, or I think it's about four months or so. But uh, he's going to tell us all about it. So... Let's just get over to my chat with Gary Roosh. Well, this week on the Flat Out RC podcast, we've got a little bit of an international flavor because a gentleman by the name of Gary Roosh, all the way from Canada, is joining me. Gary, thanks for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure, Andrew. Well, as I said, you uh, come all the way from Canada. and I've got a soft spot for Canada. I spent uh, a couple of months in the winter of 92, 93 over in Whistler in Canada, ski resort. So I, I do like Canada. What brings you to Australia? Well, I've uh, been working at the firebombing game for some time, Andrew. And uh, for the past 17 years, I've come to Australia to work in the bushfire season. 17 years. That's, that's a long time. So how many months are you spending in Australia then? Well, it's generally uh, four to five months all told. Uh, it varies from year to year, but generally about, you know, four months. Four months. And what are you flying? 
I fly the Air Tractor 802, which is a uh, single-engine turbine airplane. Yeah, they have nice plane. How are they to fly? Oh, lovely airplane. Uh, my background originally was in crop spraying or crop dusting, and um, very similar to their smaller aircraft. This particular airplane was designed specifically in the early 90s for firebombing. Yeah, okay. So you must be a pretty good pilot then. Well, I've survived. I think that's the, <laughs> what, what the best I can put it. Well, they, they, you know, to to, to be a, like a, a crop dust, it's it's pretty risky stuff, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, crop spraying, crop dusting is uh, certainly more hazardous than fire bombing. But uh, as I tell everybody, including my mother, um, our most dangerous job is driving to the airport with all the crazy people on the road. <laughs> yeah. um, the airplane itself is very safe, and uh, the manner in which we conduct ourselves and the way that we work is is very structured. Yeah, it would have to be. So you've seen, uh, you, you've always been based in Melbourne or Victoria or in other parts of Australia as well? Well, I started off in 05 in Mount Gambier um, for a company out of Adelaide. And uh, then in 2010, I moved across to Victoria to Mansfield. And then uh, with the same company, I moved to Bairnsdale in, I think it was 2014, actually. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask if you were down at Mansfield because uh, I've got a place up that way and um, often go past and see an air tractor sitting at the airport because I think they're, they're, they're camped out there over the fire season quite often. There's a helicopter. Yes, there's normally one uh, air tractor based there as well as uh, a couple of helicopters. And um, I was there for, as I said, five years, quite enjoyed it. A lovely place, good people. No flying model flying club, though. That's the only problem. Well, that's not really true. Uh, there was a fairly informal club that used to fly at the old airport. That's true. And um, actually, Merv Buckmaster was fairly uh, active down there too, the former editor oh, of Airborne. Really? I didn't know. Well, I, I know a, a guy by the name of David Caddy that used to fly down there, um, lives in Mansfield, and he was. Um, he told me about the, the old CFA strip, I think, is where they used to go and, yeah, be good on. Yes, it's on the the Delatite Station, which is a pretty significant piece of history there. Yeah, it is. I, I, I want to get down there actually. I'm hoping that they start up a formal club or something. But uh, we tried to actually. A few of us tried to, but uh, couldn't get the support. But um, okay, so that's amazing how how you spend so much of the time in Australia. How do you find living in Australia for for four to five months of the year? Is it, is it just all about work or have you sort of settled into a bit of a routine now? No, very much a routine, actually, Andrew. Uh, just to qualify, and, and, you know, we might touch on this a little later. I lived in Australia for five years in Shepparton, Victoria, uh, back in the 70s and early 80s. And uh, that happened as a result of, of model flying as well. So I really enjoyed it at that time. No winter. Mm. <laughs> Winters were like our uh, spring and um, obviously that's one of the attractions, but I, I really like uh, the people here and obviously the climate and um, the availability of most things, uh, fantastic. That is true. Now, you're from Calgary, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yep. And just, let's give the audience down here in Australia just a view of what a winter looks like. What kind of temperatures are you, are you dealing with in, the, uh, in the, the middle of winter over in Calgary? 
Well, Calgary is extremely variable. We'll, we'll get as low as minus 35 for two or three days at a crack, and then we can have up to 10 or 15 in the same week. Uh, we're talking Celsius. Canada has been uh, in metric since 77, actually. But um, it's extremely variable in Calgary. We can have a lovely winter or a nasty winter or a mix of both. Um, we may get a lot of snow. We may not. Uh, it's extremely variable. My hometown is actually a 10-hour drive east of that, and I would compare the weather there in the wintertime to very similar to the Russian steppes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, very cold, windy, uh, beautiful clear days, but extremely cold, like minus 35 to minus 40, not unusual. Uh, most days are in the winter would be from minus 10 to minus 20. Um Snow is variable, but uh, that's my plan to be in Australia for <laughs> Canada's winter as much as I can. Yeah, I was going to say you, you're missing a lot of that by, uh, you know, basically endless summer in a kind of way. But um, well, it's good to have you here. Now let's get into the aero modelling side of things. You know, we're, we're painting the picture of uh, you, you know you're in Australia, you're flying uh, firefighting aircraft, but where did your journey in aero modelling begin? Well, I'm, I'm a second-generation modeler. My father, uh, Brent, um, was a very competitive and very keen modeler in Canada. Um, he started off in competition with the Detroit Plymouth Nationals, they were called, or internationals, back when he was just a young feller. And, um, you know, grew up in competition and very competitive modeling the whole time, starting with free flight. Um, my dad loved his diesels and he, he also, uh, was one of the first people to successfully fly radio control in Canada and in the area. So that's, that's what I recall as, a, as growing up. And, um, I was always involved in the, in the shop and, um, working with my dad and watching him work. Um, I had my first radio control airplane when I was just about eight, I think I was seven and a half. And, um, that was a reed system, a craft reed system, six channel, um, with a DeBolt live wire champ and um, one that my dad had made up from some, some wrecks that he got somewhere. And I learned to fly on skis behind our house where there was an old airport mm-hmm. in the middle of winter. Well, the airplane was that underpowered that in the summer it wouldn't even get off the ground on wheels unless you had a good headwind. But it was good training. And then uh, I always attended contests, you know, the RC contest with my dad, uh, local stuff. We'd be, you know, every second or third weekend in the, the summertime, we'd be away to a model contest, drive out on the Friday night and come home late on Sunday. So I kind of grew up with that. And um, that's that's where I started was because of my dad. Yeah, it's a, it's a popular uh, way to start. But Obviously, the passion rubbed off on you, and uh, you know you know you've got a you've got a, you're surrounded by aviation in a kind of way. When you got into your teenage years, what did your modelling look like then? Well, I was starting to fly uh, aerobatics, the F three A pattern flying, and um, in 1976, I was on the Canadian team at. Uh, I guess I would have been. Let's see. Oh, pardon me. 1974, I got on the Canadian. F3A team. I think I was uh, 16 years old or 17 years old. And um, that took me to a few other comps. Um, 
World Championships in Bern in 1975. I was there with the Canadian team with Ivan Christensen and also Warren Hitchcock. And during that time, <clears throat> I met uh, a couple of guys, well, a bunch of guys from Australia, Jeff Tracy being one of them, uh, Jeff Tracy from Shepparton, and also uh, Tom Prosser. Yeah. And Jeff, Jeff was on the um, Australian team. Um, and uh, let's see, Tom, I think, was uh, honorary member, honorary team manager for the New Zealanders. Oh, really? So, so I met those guys, plus, of course, the rest of the team. And at that time, Jeff offered me a job um, to come to Australia and help him with his models. His business was going very, very well in the Goulburn Valley, and he had no time to build models. So I, I took him up on that. And um, that's what brought me to Australia, you know, with all the stuff that goes on with migration and special skills and all that good stuff. Um, it took till 77 to get me here. And the plan was to come over and, and work with Jeff on the models and then, you know, head back to Canada. Well, in the meantime, I had finished my commercial pilot's license. I had um, gone crop spraying in Canada. And I got married. So it was, it was a rather busy two-year time after the internets. Um, but came to Australia and basically stayed here for five years working with Jeff. Initially building models for about the first year, a little less than a year. And then as Jeff's business was expanding, he invited me into the company, which was a fuel distributorship under the Total Banner. And I worked uh, there as initially... Uh, um, an accountant, and then eventually a sales manager. Also flew the company airplane a fair bit around the country. Um, Total had a co company airplane that uh, I was in charge of flying, and uh, yeah, it was a pretty good life. So when you say you were building models, was it for customers or for, for who? No, this was strictly for Jeff Tracy's personal use. Uh, Jeff was heavily involved in the Tournament of Champions, in Las Vegas. And um, our first design was um, the Cap 20, which was eventually kitted by Joe Bridey. That was mine and Jeff's design. As a matter of fact, there's still a few of them floating around. Um, they were basically a quarter scale Cap 20, very competitive, powered initially by a twin Webra, and then eventually by Tartan Twins and some other iterations but an extremely competitive airplane that was extremely popular with, uh, well, Bill Bennett himself, actually. Ended up building a couple of airplanes for Bill Bennett as well while I worked with Jeff. Yeah. So it was uh, a very exciting time. Um, and then Jeff basically moved on to other things. Um, he was also involved with F3A. When I was in Australia, I never did any competitive flying, very much flying at all. It was all pretty much building for Jeff and then um, working with Jeff and uh, Barry Warren, his main mechanic, to make things work very well. So um, Jeff was probably one of the first people on the, on the world scene that really put Australia on the map. And uh, hand-eye coordination and skill levels are right off the scale there, just an incredible guy. Yeah. So while you were in here in Australia, you obviously um, you were flying. Where were you flying? Just out of, at the Shepparton Club or 
you moving around? Uh, yes, uh, a bit at the Shepparton Club, although, as I said, uh, I did very little flying in Australia. The problem being was that um, I did have other interests. I was doing a lot of water skiing and flying the company airplane, the full-size one, a fair bit. And uh, Mode 2, which I grew up with and uh, was very popular in Canada, like we see Mode 1 once in a while, very rarely, usually a displaced palm or somebody that mm -hmm. uh, that, that's come across, you know. But I, I didn't have a Mode 2 transmitter here, and with other interests, I just didn't pursue it. Yeah. Well, I fly Mode 2. I call it the Mode of Champions. Uh, <laughs> just find it so much easier. I don't know why people don't. You know what? It's, it's a historical thing. You used to turn up to a flying club, and they say, oh, we all fly Mode 1, and so you were forced to fly Mode 1. Yeah. I think that sort of has started to change a lot um, over the years. Um, you know, a bit more choice. I think, um, you know, even when I joined a club uh, a number of years ago now, they said, oh, what mode do you fly? And I said, oh, we'll fly mode two. And they said, oh, well, we haven't got an instructor for you. But that guy over there, he flies mode two, so he'll help you out. And he yeah. did. And, um, yeah, off I went. But, um, yeah, I think it's uh, definitely, I think the younger generation – we're seeing, you know, we're watching YouTube and we're watching, you know, if you're into freestyle aerobatics and things like that, you're seeing all these Mode 2 flyers and getting influenced by them. And so I think that's uh, that's helping along. But also with well, with modern day radios and buddy boxes where you can have one person on Mode 1 and one person on Mode 2, I don't think it's an issue nowadays. Well, quite honestly, Andrew, I find talking about religion and uh, politics at a family gathering is easier than talking about Mode 1 and Mode 2. <laughs> yeah, but we know that Mode 2, you know, Champions, so we don't need to have an argument about any with anybody because we we know. No, no. Now, okay, so then, so let's fast forward. Then you go back to Canada. Then after your stint in Australia, what took you back to to, to Canada? Because flying got you over here. Did it? You know, I really liked the life in in Australia, but unfortunately, my my first wife couldn't live without her family, so we ended up going back to Canada, and. Um, I got back into the flying business over there. I actually, I bought an existing company that I had learned to fly at. And um, I went back to Canada and took that business or half that business over with uh, one of the founding partners and basically ran with that for quite some time. As a matter of fact, I still own the company, but it's strictly an aircraft leasing and sales company now. But we were involved with... Uh, Crop spraying, flight training, aircraft maintenance, uh, fuel sales, hangar storage, just the whole box and dice, what we would call a fixed base operation over there. Um, very successful, and I enjoyed the business very much, uh, mostly the spraying. I, I really liked the crop spraying and uh, got wholeheartedly into that. In the meantime, I was doing some model flying, mostly with um, my dad who lived in the same town at the time. And... Uh, um, you know, sort of got back into it, but not competitively. I stuck strictly with oh, sort of scale and semi-scale airplanes that would fly well. And um, also got back into slope soaring, which has always been one of my favorite endeavors, you know, RC slope soaring. I just, it, it's magnificent. So uh, I was tootling along, doing it more as a true hobby and only from time to time. Yeah, yeah, you would have been busy now. Okay, let's keep on progressing then. You, you, you sound like at that period of time you were very engrossed in work and career and that kind of thing. Um, did your aero modeling change as you got older? 
you know, did you, you know, is it is it playing a bigger part now than than what it used to? Well, um, very much so. There's always a progression. And myself, I really was out of the hobby apart from flying my dad's airplanes from time to time when I went to visit him uh, for quite some time. But I came back to Australia in 2000 and um, basically was looking at, at coming over here to do the aerial spraying season in the winters. Um, at that time, I went to see Jeff. Jeff was involved with a BMW dealership in Shepherd, and it was his business. And he had a little IFO, which is a round-winged uh, indoor aerobatic electric airplane. Okay. And Jeff, Jeff had his uh, showroom in Shepherdon, full of Mer- not Mercedes Benz, sorry, uh, BMWs, and fairly high ceiling. And Jeff dragged this thing out. And uh, he was flying it around in there doing loops and rolls and split S's and all kinds of stuff with this. And it it quite honestly snapped my brain. I I just couldn't comprehend something that small flying that well indoors. And I got very interested in in getting into electrics as a result of that. So when I came back from Australia that winter, your summer, I started into some electric stuff. And at that time, I had um, gotten into the fire business as well, like as a fire pilot. I started in 2001, and it was very convenient for me to take electric stuff with me. Started off small, of course, and um, I would just take it with me uh, around to the different bases, both building and flying the small electrics, as well as having a project. I've always had a project when I went on the road. I, I continue to do that today. Uh, something to build in my off time. Uh, you know, it's a fiery's life, so to speak. We spend a lot of time watching TV, uh, trying to keep ourselves occupied, reading, reading books. I've always had model airplanes with me mm-hmm. and um, always been involved with some sort of a build. So um, I was back in and I had time on my hands, uh, basically on base, uh, away from home and on base. And uh, that just came with me. So I really got back into it when I started back in the fire business in 2001. Now, let's just talk about the logistics of all that because you're only here four to five months of the year. How do you manage the logistics of your aero modeling gear whilst you're, you're out here or back at home? Well, I've always uh, managed to find uh, people that I fly with, and they're, most of them are willing to store my stuff for me, bits and pieces of it, such as it is. And, of course, it's gotten bigger over the years. Um, so I've always got a, somebody that says, no, no, just leave it in my shed or oh, I'll put it in my boat shed, put it in my loft. Uh, it'll be here when you come back. And I always tell them, well, if I don't come back, it's yours. <laughs> oh, you'll be back, mate. You'll be back. Well, so far I have. And, uh, yeah, so, um, I just leave my stuff here. Um, what I've done is taken my radio back and forth, like my transmitter only. Um, I'm now taking back and forth my, uh, RC jet motors, like the turbo jets. Um, and the rest of it all stays here. It's just like a parallel universe for me. That's the best way I could describe it. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good, sounds like a good setup. Now let's talk about, um, models let's talk about your hangar and what it currently looks like here in australia and and then maybe also in canada is there is a particular category of models that you you sort of 
tend to go towards or is it a bit of a mixture? Well, I, I guess um, that's kind of a long story, but um, currently, let's let's start today. <laughs> um, I'm flying a Hawker Hunter, a Ripmax Hawker Hunter, which is a, uh, it's got a 120 jet cat in it. And I'm just about completed a Carrie Sterner one-fifth size vampire from a laser cut kits from Australia. Oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And uh, a nice big airplane, again, about an eight-foot span. This one will have, it has a 100 jet cat in it. Um, and I also, those two airplanes, I've been working on the Vampire for the last three seasons. This is my third season on it. And it's almost ready to paint. I'm just that close to it. Uh, work does get in the way. As you know, the bushfires two years ago were like two crazies are just ridiculous. And then we can get moved around from our regular base. So I actually have been away from my regular base for probably almost a full season in the last three seasons. So I didn't complete that. Um, last year I bought a Hawker Hunter, um, which was a flying model and did my own install in it, put my motor in it and uh, flew it. But for the last five years now, I've been flying a chipmunk, a black horse chipmunk with a 33cc um, OSGT in it, like a petrol motor. And the chipmunk flies very well. I've also got a chipmunk. I've got two chipmunks in Canada. So I've, I've got this thing about chipmunks. And, so do uh, I. <laughs> if you've been listening to my podcast, you'll, be, you'll hear me talking about the super chipmunk. And that's my okay. bucket list model that – when I was a kid in the 80s looking at magazines and seeing these decathlons and chipmunks, they were the two main models. Yeah. And uh, I would see these these chipmunks and i think, oh, wouldn't that be good if I had one of those? I don't know how I could build one of those. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, definitely on the bucket list. So, yep, I'm with you with the chipmunks. Uh, you're always 33. How often does it start backwards? Every time. Yeah. You get used to it, don't you? I've had a OS33. It's a great motor, but uh, they have a tendency to start backwards. Uh, there was a guy in Australia who's passed away now, Brian Winch, who was one of the well, a leading a leading authority on model engines, really. And um, he used to write for a lot of magazines around the world, including one of mine. And he um, he said, "Oh yeah, the timing's very advanced on the OS motors. You got to change the timing, and then they don't do it as much. But then uh, you don't get the power. But um, yeah, just have to." switch it off quickly and the next start goes forward, doesn't it? That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, normally they start second or third flip. They're, they're a magnificent motor. And uh, just a tip for everyone out there, put an APC 2010 on it and use the other ones for paint stirrers. Um, the APC 2010 just makes the engine go like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Yeah, you do. I think you do with um, with those engines. They've got a bit more power than the standard 30cc and uh, – Bit more pitch and it, helps. It's all. It's just an OS. That's all you got to say. Yeah, yeah. It's a good, good motor. Uh, okay, now I, I've, got, I've got photos of uh, your turbine. I think it's the Hawker Hunter. I think you've um, got photos of that. That uh, from Bansdale. Now, where where are you flying mainly now? You're in you're in Hamilton down here in Victoria at the moment, aren't you? Yes, we're in Hamilton. We're just on a fortnight finish our contract. Um, stint here because our normal airplanes that are based here finished their 14-week contract last week. So they moved us down here. There's absolutely nothing going on in Gippsland except rain. It's very green out there. 
So the western side of the state, uh, while there's little hazard here, there's more than there is. So, you know, the justification is put us closer to the action if there is any action. And um, it just makes sense to use resources, you know. But uh, prior to coming across here, we hadn't seen a fire since New Year's Day. And that was just south of uh, Mildura at a place called Hadda, which is a park. That was the last fire we saw. Oh, really? So It's been know, a pretty quiet season, hasn't it? It's really not. Very quiet season. But it was very wet. Yeah. It was a wet uh, sort of around that Christmas period. Well, particularly wet in Gippsland and um, West Gippsland, uh, you know, around uh, Latrobe Valley is not as wet, but uh, everything from about Sail East is just absolutely drenched and all the East Coast lows have gone across there. Anytime there's rain, it's gone through there. So a very different year, but that's the fire business, you know, that's just the way it is. And and Australia, as you know, there's... Uh, basically flood or house fire and it seems very little in between <laughs> that is true and I'll, I'll tell you what we still we had our fair share of fires didn't we a couple of years ago which uh yeah more than our share it was ridiculous how bad was it for you when in that time period being on, i've on the never been in worse conditions i've been close to that but uh, we had so much smoke at that time that we couldn't even fly even though our services were required it was not safe to fly and um, we were just like a dog chasing his tail whenever we did go out. Um, just, yeah, very, very, very concerning, very dangerous, very unapproachable in most cases because of the conditions, you know. And where were you based? We were down Bairnsdale at that particular point in time? Yes, we were. And Bairnsdale was really the epicenter for um, for Victoria. That's true. Pretty much everything north and east of there uh, was burnt. Yeah. So very, very incredible time. Well, there was a, there was a massive um, burn-off uh, regime happened in the past week or so um, here in Victoria. I, uh... Yes, they're actually having problems trying to get stuff to light in most places because it's so wet. And uh, to do a proper job, you need a certain level of moisture. But too much moisture, it's it's a waste of time. So they're, they're really struggling at this point. Yeah, well, the... Was literally a fire up near where my house is, up in the country, and um, at night I drove up to the the, the ridge line and I had a look, and it was took a great photo. You could see all the undergrowth, um, a light, but it was beautiful conditions. It was perfect conditions. It was done and dusted in about two and a half days. I think the whole thing was got, was out, but uh, yeah. we need that though, don't we? Okay, now when it comes to building uh, models, are you a builder and a flyer, or you know? You like flying more than building? or Well, I, I enjoy both. Uh, building time is an issue for me because when I go back to Canada, I've got a basically a four-month season there that I'm on duty. Uh, for the last 11 years, I've been on standby relief. So, you know, some years I'll only go out for four or five weeks in a 17-week season. But other years I'll be out for the entire time. And then... My building season is interspersed with my, my coming and going, you know, from home. Um, but it's, yeah, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to find time to build. So I, you know, really and truly have a tendency to work on what I have or else get something that's uh, not necessarily an ARF, but something that needs a bit of attention and redo. And that's what I'll work on. 
So, you know, what am I saying? I, I do like my building. I just don't have time for it. And because I'm always on the move um, in my work, um, you can schedule something, you know, set up your spray booth, and then it sits there for seven weeks while you're away. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. Isn't so, it? and you know, I'm on I'm on two hours notice in Canada uh, the whole summer. So you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Now, tell us a bit about the flying scene in Canada because we've never really we've never thought about it to be honest, um, and never discuss it. But uh, you know, how popular is the hobby? club-wise, competition-wise, etc. Well, we've got uh, a lot of very top world-class people in my own group um, in Calgary. My club in Calgary, I have Chad Northeast, who's been the Canadian champion for some time. Oh, yeah, met Chad Chad's before. going down to uh, uh, the Tournament of Champions revamp down in, I think it's in the southern states somewhere. Yeah, it is. He continues to do his F3A thing, and uh, Chad also flies jets a bit he's got an avanti same as myself um i've known chad for quite some time the the funniest story i've got to tell you is i was over in albury doing a relief day for my company about i guess it would have been 2014 and i went out to the flying field there because there wasn't much going on at the airport and there's chad oh, i was gonna say there's chad because i met chad that trip yeah <laughs> and you didn't know he was going to be there? No, I didn't know he was going to be there. And, um, of course, I think uh, Futaba brought him over, Australian Masters. Ah, yes, right, yeah. So we had a big chuckle about it that day, and then we saw each other about three weeks later back in Canada. So <laughs> um, lots of activity. Uh, in Calgary, we have a very active pylon racing group, which has a separate field. And um, quite an active slope soaring group, which of course we're in the best place in the world for that. We're right on the you know the edge of the foothills and the mountains there. Um, very active sports scale group. Um, see, there's a bit of everything. The demographics in Canada are similar to Australia now. There's uh, seems to be a lack of younger people coming along. Um, you know, most people are. Uh, a little bit older, like myself. I'm I'm 67 this year, and uh, a lot of guys my age. As a matter of fact, I'm a young fella most days when I go out to my club, which is a a club of about 85 members, and we have like 20 uh, honorary members or lifetime members. Um, just reflects the age of the group. But um, yeah, I'd say that it's very similar. Um, a lot more ARFs coming along. People are buying models. Uh, a lot more electric stuff now. Um, you know, there's a trend that way. I'd say that we're almost exactly the same. And the the other part that's really the same is is everybody's walking around saying, oh, it's not the same as it used to be. Nobody <laughs> builds anything anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> yada, yada, yada. And I said, well, I'm, I'm still building. <laughs> well, it's I'm seeing – we do talk a lot about that a lot, but – things have changed, you know, times have changed, the internet changed things, um, you know, society behaves differently as a result of the opportunities that we have now that we probably didn't have when we were younger and that. So I'm the kind of person that says, oh, well, we have to adapt, you know, we can't go back and whatever. But in saying that, and I've talked a bit about this, is the rise of the laser cut kit. Now, when you mentioned that, uh, the, what was it, a vampire that you're building from the laser cut kit, uh, you're not the only person that I know that is building a jet, you know, from a kit. 
at the moment. You know, there's a guy by the name of Marco Fort who was uh, who was on the podcast, and he's building, I think, an L39 or something like that. And and he's a guy that's never built from a kit before, and it's his first sort of kit build, and 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 he's sort of embraced it. So I think there's it will still be a niche thing, but uh, if you want to build a kit. You can nowadays. There's plenty of people that will cut you a kit. We've had a Hulk RC and Scale Aero products and uh, Laser Cut Kits Australia. You know, there's plenty of outlets for us to get get some different models if we want to do that. So, um, I think it's not. Yeah, it's not dead. It's not dead at all. No, it, it's it's just a slightly different uh, way to approach it, but it's certainly there. The other the other thing that you'll notice, and I see it here, is if us us old boys have a bit of a crack crack up or. Uh, a bingo we don't get too upset about it whereas um, a lot of people that have bought their models and put them together whether it's an ARF they're not used to that they're not used to radio failures they're not used to equipment failures um, you know things that just come out of the blue whereas I think the biggest difference is us old boys have been through all that stuff you know, you have a bit of a bingo and you say, oh, yeah, okay, well, that's too bad. We'll just have to go and fix it. The other side is that one thing I find as an advantage traveling a lot is if I do want a model, I can get a model, put it together without too much, uh, I wouldn't say effort, and, you know, do some improvements over what stock would be and have a great time doing it without the emotional involvement of of having built that model over the course of six or eight months. So yeah. I think you know it's a it's a two-edged sword and i really think there's advantages to the way that it's gone but it's different and um nobody likes change but you know what it's not so bad <laughs> yeah well you know i always say at the end of the day we can still um get our airplane put it on the runway and take off and fly it around well my dad was uh i wouldn't say he was a man of few words but very close to that but he'd always tell me gary he said if you're not having fun doing something you should do something else and I tell people that a lot because it's really true. The, the, it's a hobby. It's a sport. If you want to get really serious about it, that's great. But if you're not having fun doing it, maybe you should try something else different in the sport or else maybe it's not for you, you know. Well, I also find, and I, I, you know, from personal experience, even where I sit with the hobby at the moment is, depending on, the, on your personality type, I suppose, I'm interested in so many different things. I always say that um, I'll be average at a lot of things because there's so many things that I want to try. And there is there are certain times in my life that I can try those things, whether, you know, if it's a, a physical thing that I can do now, which I won't be able to do maybe in 10 years' time as I get older, even though I'm slowly falling apart. But uh, at the moment, even with my own hobby activity, my main outlet for aero modeling is actually doing this podcast at the moment. Uh, I, right. I, I did actually, I did go and have a few flights up at my holiday house a couple of weeks ago by myself, probably did four flights and uh, threw my DLG around a bit, which is always a bit of fun. Um, but I've been to my flying club, I've flown to my flying club once this year. Uh, and, but, you know, I bought a jet ski, I got a motorbike, I got mountain bikes, I got all these other things at, at work, of course, it gets in the way. And Sometimes I feel the pressure that I should be going out and flying more because my friends are saying you should go flying more. But the reality is that I'm actually enjoying some other things at the moment and yep. aero modelling yep. isn't going anywhere. It will still be there. I just don't need to push myself that every weekend I must go flying because I'm not going to be a proper aero modeler if I don't. But uh, 
I always say that we can express our error modeling in multiple different ways. And 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 as I said, me doing this podcast is is something I love doing and and enjoy talking about the models, which we do anyway, don't we, Gary? When we're at the at the at the flying. Well, that's field. right. That's right. And you know what? Um, they don't go away. <laughs> they mm. go away really fast when they do go away. But mm. uh, models in the shed or your garage or whatever, um, they're there. And like myself, uh, one of my last projects, I finished it about three years ago, was my dad's last project. And it was a long time build. My dad suffered from Alzheimer's. And, you know, we, we watched him deteriorate. And then he passed about 12 years ago. But I got his last project, was, which was a self-designed iMac, one-third size stomp with a ZDZ80 petrol motor in it. Okay, yeah. And that was a labor of love for me. It took a lot of work because my dad had already started to lose the plot a bit when he was trying to complete it. So I had to redo a few things. I covered it, got it flying. And it's probably one of the most magnificent airplanes you'll see. Uh, semi-scale machine, biplane, of course. And... Uh, flies beautifully and we also use it for glider towing oh really so um you know all of those things were were what my dad had envisioned my dad's uh, imac number was 219 he got in real early it's probably one of the first canadians to get in and uh, like if you look at the imac numbers now i think they're all five digits so it, it was pretty cool so you know to be able to fly that um i've entered it in some imac competitions in sportsman and uh I'm looking at going into intermediate maybe, but I'm not having fun doing it. So I'm just taking a rest from that. I'll just go out and fly the airplane around, tow a few gliders for some buddies and uh, just generally have fun with it. Did you, was your dad uh, a lifelong aero modeler? Yes. Yes, he was. Um, he started at about five years old. His mother brought him home a, a solid balsa model that you had to carve and didn't fly. And then um, he was fascinated with... Um, models, airplanes of all sorts, and uh, started actually flying stick and tissue stuff probably when he was about eight years old, all on his own, and then got his first motor at about 14. So he had a an ignition motor that he couldn't get to start and uh, took it back to the hobby shop, and the guy bought it back from him and gave him a Mills diesel, which I still have. I've got oh, really? my dad's first Mills, and uh, it's pretty cool. But yeah, I love the old diesels. Yeah, yeah, lots of fun. So, yeah, there's, as I said, a bit of a family history there. My own interests were, um, I was very interested in flying full-size stuff. I just wanted to be a pilot. And because I got glasses, I was myopic, short-sighted when I was 11. Um, I was told you couldn't get a commercial license. So I actually, you know, re-endeavored into my model airplane thing and got more involved with competition and then, when I was 17, I, I was informed correctly that I could get a commercial pilot's license. And so I really chased after that hard and got my license and uh, multi-engine rating commercial license, the whole nine yards. So, And basically went into the flying uh, side full time. So That generally happens, I find, that uh, any aero modeler that I know that, and I know a few of them that have, you know, started as a, as a child, flew model planes, then, you know, began flying full size that the models sort of sit, take us, you know, play second fiddle to the full size flying for quite a while, but then often 
as they progress in their career and get stable in their career, maybe flying commercially, then you know, uh, my brother's a pilot for for Virgin, and um, and he was telling me the other day that you know he he flies with a lot of captains that are that are fly model planes, and yep. and some of them listen to this podcast actually. Because he he said to me that he asked the captain if he's still listening to my podcast, but um, so yeah, it's uh, but it, it's interesting. Like, uh, if, when do you think you're going to retire? Well, it's probably going to be a medical thing for me because uh, I'm kind of doing what I like to do, and uh, I spend a lot of my time with with modelers. And uh, gee, I <laughs> I sort of feel like I'm almost retired now. Yeah. But I've still got a daughter that's uh, going through university. I still love to travel. Uh, I love being in Australia. It's it's truly you know my favorite place in the world. Um, so I'm going to keep going as long as I can. Uh, I what that is I don't know. Um, I'm starting to see a lot of my friends having health issues, whether they're young or whether they're older than myself or the same age. And um, you don't know, you know, our days are numbered health-wise. Um, so as long as I have the ability and the opportunity, I'm probably going to stick with it. And, you know, I, I just, I'm hoping that I can recognize my own failings once it's time to hang up my skates, you know? Yeah, that's true. Very, very wise words. I'm, I'm feeling great. I started flying jets two years ago, model jets. Mm. And... I'll tell you what, I've been flying models all my life and I haven't had as much fun or as much of a buzz in just about anything to do with models um, as I have with jets. So Now explain, you know, to, explain to me why. <laughs> what do you find? Because I've got a jet and I like my jet um, but I also like my aerobatic planes as well. But uh, tell me what you love about the turbine jets. Well, I think it's the sound and the smell. Um, I like the technology side of it. Um, I very much enjoy talking to other guys that have been involved with it longer than me and learning learning things. I, I mean, that's part of it as well. The fellowship side of it's a lot, a lot of fun. The technical fellowship side of it is fantastic. But just the buzz of flying that airplane, having to plan everything in advance, making sure it's like a full-size airplane. You have to treat it very seriously in terms of checklists and sequences. If you forget one thing, look out. You're the in a fuel, situation the where fuel you've, tap. you've, you know, you've got a situation where uh, you may lose the model. Um, the other side of it is, too, that as a friend of mine tells me who's a, a former world-class pylon racing guy um he said you, you can't let your head and your wallet get hooked up when you're flying jets you got to remember to fly it all the time don't think about what it's costing or yeah. <laughs> uh but you know you've got to be fairly serious about it um you can't just throw it together and go fly you know actually with i've got um i've got i, I use a spectrum dx18 radio and on the radio you can have a checklist so it won't enter into sort of flying mode until shows a checklist up on the screen and you you confirm each of them and the only model that i've got a checklist set up for is the turbine so you know have i got air in the air system have i got um my fuel tap into the right um, position uh you know whatever else i've got you know on the list i can't remember but uh yeah it's the only model that i have got i have got a checklist but um 
I, I can relate to the, the comment that you made in relation to learning something new. And that's the biggest thing that I've enjoyed about getting into jets, even though I haven't done many flights. I will be very shortly at the Wang Jets event. Are you coming to the Wang Jets event? Yes, that's my plan unless we get extended here. It's doubtful we'll get extended, but I've actually got uh, Tony uh, uh, taking my – Tony and uh, Andy are taking my hunter from Painesville up there directly okay, so yeah. I can go directly from here. So that's the plan unless something changes. Awesome. So. Well, we'll probably see you there. But, um, but yeah, it's – I'm really enjoying – just learning another discipline of the hobby, and and I found that uh, the turbine community is very very supportive of newcomers. You know, I, I always say to people, if you want to maiden your, your your jet and you're a bit nervous, go to one of the jet events and fly at a full size airport where you've got a massive runway because all the expertise is there. And and I never felt that anyone was looking at me and critiquing my flying or anything. They were there just to make sure that my plane came home in one piece by sharing their advice and uh, yeah. extremely appreciative of that. And now I'm looking forward to, you know, I've got past my first few flights and now let's go and, you know, keep on keep on learning. And and even the way that you fly a jet, uh, you know, one of the things I said to somebody last year after I made my, my jet was I'm really looking forward to learning how to put on a good flying demonstration with a jet. Because it's a bit different. I'm into aerobatics and freestyle aerobatics, and these planes can do almost anything nowadays. But a jet, you know, you've got to be mindful of what the capabilities are. With this, mainly with the the, the the turbine leg is the biggest thing. But uh, but uh, so yeah, so exploring a new facet of the hobby is something that I that I'm really excited about. Fly, the flying, the art of flying. Kim was saying everybody if they get nervous about flying a jet is guess what? It's got ailerons, an elevator, and a rudder, and you've been doing that for years. You know which way they all go, and guess what? Your brain will do the right thing. It's just uh, just be respectful of certain aspects of a turbine jet. That's about it. Well, that's right. You, you know, you, it's like playing billiards. You got to know your your moves about two ahead, and. Um, be prepared for change. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, now, so what are you taking to Wang Jets? Yeah, Hunter. Well, the only the only serviceable jet that I have now is the Hunter. So the Hunter is what I'll be taking, and then it'll go into storage. Um, um, yeah, waiting my return. So when are you going back to to Canada? It sounds like shortly. I go back to Canada in uh, mid April, actually. Okay. And I would like to stick around a little more, but I have recurrency training going on in Canada because, of course, I go into another four-month season almost immediately when I go back. I think I, I start on back on duty on May the 15th or May the 17th till the middle of September. So Okay. And when do you come to Australia? Generally in November and uh, start generally start work late November. So I, I try to have at least a couple of weeks beforehand to, uh, well, get my models out and get my kayak out and mm. <laughs> uh, start living again, you know. Yeah, it's an amazing lifestyle, really. But you must enjoy yeah. it. It's like, almost like this nomadic I, lifestyle. I and, you know, it's, everything's about people and um, the friendliness here is, uh, is excellent. The climate is wonderful, and uh, you know, being in Gippsland for the last seven years, uh, right at near Lake's entrance, Painesville, it's been fantastic. Great club down there, super good field, lovely guys. Yeah, the Bensdale Club is phenomenal. I was talking to Tony Wilson the other day, um, 
and I think there's, a, there's an event happening in May, but you won't be around. You'll be back in Canada. But uh, mid-May musters coming up in the middle of May, which I'm uh, penciled into my calendar to get on down and have a fly and maybe shoot a video. But um, yeah, they recently had their, their scale rally, didn't they, a few weeks ago, which you were at? Yes, yes, it was uh, quite well attended. I think we had 26 registered pilots and there's a few that showed up as well. Yeah. Lots of airplanes, a mix of jets and large models. Uh, very unbelievable weather. The nicest weather we've had all That's summer. That's true. Actually, that was so, – I remember was I was um, – I escaped to the country actually before then because uh, of a COVID outbreak in my family. And so I went, okay, I'm going. Uh, so I don't get it because I just didn't want the hassle. And anyway, I, I went up there and uh, – Talking to my friend Dominic, who I think you had a chat with, and he was uh, having a yeah, ball. Yeah, I had, was, had a visit with Dom. Yeah, yep. it was good. Uh, good weather. Now, when you when you travel, if you get moved around, do you take planes with you? Like in Australia, that is, and now you're in Hamilton, did you bring a plane? Well, with you or- in Hamilton, I I brought my Vampire Project with me because I knew that we were going to be here, and I knew it was going to be very quiet. So, um, my attempt was to get my airplane ready to paint this year. So I should be close to that. I'm just finishing off some final installations, um, and I'll probably give it its last coat of surface resin. It's finished with three quarter ounce glass cloth and and epoxy. Yeah. And it just needs another coat of epoxy, and then it needs three million hours of sanding. <laughs> yeah. um, but it should be ready to prime when I come back in November. And I'm hoping to have it flying next year. So, what what mode is going to go in that? This one has a JetCat 100 uh, RX, and it's the same motor. I have another Vampire in Canada, which is actually a composite Vampire that my friend and I. Um, Took the Sterner plans, and he's um, a professional fiberglass guy. He's made over a thousand racing airplanes, oh, yeah. and he took a shine to the Vampire, and he said, "Well, would you help me?" And I said, "Yeah." So he made plugs and molds, and I got the first flying airplane out of it, and flew it just before I came to Australia with the same motor. So it's essentially the same flying machine. It's just all composite instead of balsa and ply. So. Lovely flying airplane. Yeah. You know, the Vampire is one of those models that you look at and you know it's going to fly well. It's just got that safe flying platform, nice big wing on it, almost like a sport model. Um, well, it is. Yeah. It, it really is. The, the big thing for us, like we fly off grass. We have a lovely grass field at Bairnsdale. I have the same in Calgary where I fly. And one of the criterion for me was something with big wheels, bit of wing area, and uh, something that was a real airplane, like a semi-scale airplane. So the Vampire's got five-inch wheels on it. It's got a three-and-a-half-inch nose wheel. So, you know, it's almost an off-road machine. <laughs> that is true. That's big wheels. Really. Oh, it, it works very, very well off grass, as does the Hunter. The Hunter's got big wheels and uh, a little bit of a smaller nose wheel, but it gets up and goes, you know? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> You won't have a problem at Wangaratta. But I must say, the Wangaratta asphalt, it's really, it's 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 a very coarse rock that they've used. Uh, and uh, so, you know, the, the, the planes take a little bit of a beating, I reckon, the undercarriage does, getting over these uh, rocks. Yeah, that- well, I've never flown off uh, asphalt with a with a model jet. And uh, I've worked off of Wangaratta a fair bit. Uh, in the fire business, yeah. we've done training days there and actually taken loads out of there for fires. 
So I'm familiar with the airport, but um, yeah, it's all new for me, Andrew, the, uh, the asphalt thing with jets. So. Well, you know what I think the only thing is, uh, the planes, of course, run on the asphalt a lot longer. So you've got to jump on the brakes. But uh, the, the biggest thing I found, which I've got to try to sort out, that's what I'm going to try to do this weekend, the nose wheel steering is really sensitive on asphalt. Yes. And uh, I was trying – I've got to work out how to dull it down. I've got to get a bit creative, I think, with my radio set up to dull dull it down, which I think we I played around with something to try to do that. But, uh, but yeah, it's just very, very sensitive on the um, – on the uh, on the tarmac, but uh, fortunately, my, my plane's got reasonable brakes, so it stops pretty quickly. And uh, it's a sport jet, so it's not too too bad. So I'm looking. Right. I can't wait for for Wangaratta, and uh, it's it's coming up. Actually, this episode is 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 coming out the weekend before the Wang Jet. So if you are interested in flying jets, uh, Wang Jets, the Wangaratta Airport, starting this Thursday. Uh, all the way till Sunday. I'm going up on the Friday morning. So I'm hopefully going to fly Friday afternoon, shoot a video on Saturday and maybe get a flying, maybe a flying on Sunday and then come home. But it's going to be a good event, Gary, if it's the first one. You'll absolutely love it. We'll all be out at dinner together. So uh, always a good, good event, the Wangaratta Jets. And and for anyone listening that's into turbine jets and if you can't make it to this year's Wang Jets, uh, it's normally around the April time period, early late March, early April. Um, pencil in your diary because uh, it's not to be missed. It's a really, really good event. F- special experience also flying model planes at a full-size airport as well. Plenty of room. You know, I was there last year, Gary, and there was a bit of a crosswind and I had to maiden my jet first turbine flight and I was saying, oh, you got to watch out. I was thinking this runway is the widest runway I've ever flown off, and my theory was as long as you're roughly over the black stuff, you'll be okay. And so, uh, <laughs> and I was had no problem. It came in beautifully, so it was all good. Well, Gary, we've come to the end, uh, but there's always one question that everybody can't wait to hear the answer to, and it's it's a, it's a pretty tricky question for a lot of people, and that is, what has been your all-time favourite model? Well, I'd have to say that it was uh, the chipmunk, or is the chipmunk. And um, the chipmunk's just a lovely flying airplane. I'm, uh, I've had three of the uh, about fifth size ones. Two of them are still in existence, and I've got a set of molds at home for a quarter scale one, which is 102-inch span, and I'm just working on that right now, getting the bits assembled for it. And, um, yeah, I think that will be one of my ultimate projects starting this year. So lovely machine. They all fly very well. I learned to fly tailwheel airplane full size on a chipmunk in 1974, my uh, former partner. And um, last year was the 75th anniversary of our company. And uh, I bought him out in 89. But we've stayed very good friends. So last year, I decided I needed a chipmunk for myself. I went out and bought one in Toronto, a British one, a 1958 model, brought it home. And my partner, uh, ex-partner Doug, saw this and, uh, oh, that's really good. So we went up for a fly and we'd reversed roles. Yeah. I was the instructor and he was. And... Uh, um, about a week later, he found his old airplane that was sold in 78 
to a local machinery dealer and bought it back. So now the, the two partners uh, both have chipmunks full size that we fly. So pretty cool. But I'm, I'm sort of a desperate chipmunk guy. No, I'm Models are full size. <laughs> do, you, do you like the super chipmunk or is it just the normal uh, standard um, chipmunk? I'm not much on the super chipmunk. I've seen Art Scholl fly. Um, very impressive. But I'm more into the old putt-putt gypsy that drips oil all over your foot and uh, yeah. always starts, always runs, never quits touch wood. So. Yeah, yeah no, awesome planes. Well, Gary, it's been a pleasure having a chat with you. You've got such an interesting story, and uh, and it, it really is about a life in aviation and and the travel and, and the work that you do, and even the dedication you got to aero modelling and how you've 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 carried it with you wherever you've gone. So very very impressive, and a big thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Andrew. About to leave, already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking, we'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC Podcast done and dusted. Big thank you to Gary Roosh for joining me. I've always got a soft spot for the Canadians. I spent a bit of time there in my youth, a couple of months at a ski resort back in 92, 93. And uh, great place. Um, to go and the scenery is just phenomenal there It'd be a great place to fly except winter there's plenty of coldness in the air and snow often too on the ground so uh big thank you to gary really really enjoyed that chat and i'll be seeing him at the wang jets event this weekend which is great to catch up face to face uh big thank you to everyone for joining me and listening to the podcast once again hope you enjoyed it i'll be back next week maybe talking turbines next week uh we shall see and uh, stay tuned. Flat Out RC YouTube channel with some uh, videos coming, so don't forget to subscribe. Almost got to a thousand subscribers, it's taken a while, but I haven't been doing that much, so I'm giving you good enough reason to subscribe, but there's plenty coming. So stay tuned and thanks for joining me once again. I'll be back next week. Now looking back, eyes on the freeway, Bonnie and Clyde, a classic cliche, we're on the run. This is what we waited for